Now, welcome to a very special FA Cup edition of Pot on You Loons. Uh, my name is James. If you've been listening to the show before, you would have heard me made a few appearances. We're here with uh, Sam and Jeremy after the big game to kind of discuss it. Yeah. Pot on You Loons. Welcome Pot back, everyone. Loons. Don't you mean uh, Go Gunner? I think that's what you meant to say, Sam. I like this. I... Um... I'm so excited about my team, Chelsea, being in the FA Cup final that I'm like, oh, we need to do a special edition podcast and I'll invite my I'll invite my friends back on that are Arsenal fans. And, you, you know, I never thought about how just pathetic it would be for me to host a podcast, my podcast, with my two Arsenal fans rubbing it in after Chelsea just lost. So welcome, everyone. It's good to have you here. It's great to be here, Sam. It's I'm sure Jeremy can agree. It's fantastic to be here. There, there was there was about five to ten minutes where I wasn't looking forward to it for a little bit there. I'm sure we'll get into that. My nickname uh, that Sam has so dubbed me came in uh, pretty handy in, at about the fifth minute today. <laughs> Doomsday Jeremy. You can follow Doomsday Jeremy on Twitter. Yep. Doomsday Jeremy at the Chai's. Check me out. You can also check out uh, the stuff that I do, um, my writing stuff, mainly Packers stuff, but also just NFL stuff in general. You can check that out at thesportsheadquarters.com. And of course, the My Franchise, Fan- My Franchise Football Podcast, which I am on with Marty and Tom. All right. Well, let's get into the FA Cup because right now, guys, we have the Loons have a pretty big game coming up in just about 50 minutes. So... This won't be the longest podcast in the world, but it's going to be a pretty fun one. So guys, the FA Cup, oldest domestic cup competition in the world. What does it mean to you guys? We obviously have different perspectives. James, he grew up in England, moved to Australia, of course, but was a little kid in England. Jeremy got into soccer as an adult. I got into soccer as a college student attending, sorry, a uni student at the University of Winchester in the county of Hampshire, just about an hour outside of London. What does the FA Cup mean to each of you guys? Yeah, for for me, it's, you know, it's as, as long as I can remember, it's been the domestic cup. You know, it's been the cup where, you know, even the small teams can become giant killers, like people from League One or League Two can win. And it's just been a cup where anything can happen. And that's the fun of it. Uh, it's just that the ultimate surprise packages can happen in the FA Cup. The fairy tales, you know. Until so. the MLS is back tournament, right? Until the MLS <laughs> is back tournament, yeah. Yeah, I think that, uh, as I like to call myself a, a stupid American soccer fan, since I'm, you know, hard to uh, have the full respect for the game. I mean, I still call it soccer. So there you go. Enough said there. But I think the FA Cup was one of those things when I heard about it and like found out about it. It was one of those things where I was just like, God, this is so cool. I wish we had something like this. Like we talked about, like, I think me and Sam at one point was like, baseball should do something like this or some American sport should do something like this because it's just such a, a cool concept. And it's such a, you know, you have the point where like technically, like some really small team from nowhere could end up playing Manchester United or, and that's just 
there's something really cool about that. Or you got these big clubs that go into these tiny stadiums and play. And it's just, they wouldn't let that happen here. And so I just was kind of mesmerized by the whole concept. And it's almost, Sam will understand this. It's, it's almost notebook worthy, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a reference to the just stacks and stacks of just spiral notebooks. Jeremy carries around with him as he watches sports and writes down every note that he has. <laughs> uh, if you ever go as Jeremy for Halloween, it's an easy costume. You just get a Hawaiian shirt and a notebook. Everyone will know who you are. <laughs> or a Packer jersey. Packer jersey works. Oof. Yeah, I think what, what Jeremy said too, it's the fact that some amateur team that is sponsored by a pub, by theory, has a chance at winning it all at Wembley. That really appeals to me. I know that realistically that's not actually happening, but we have seen teams outside of the Premier League make runs in the past several years. I think, Jeremy, around the time you were getting into it, Bradford City was the big team. And I remember you had a FIFA campaign with Bradford City out of League One. Well, and kind of moving into like earliest memories and like thinking about that, the FA Cup, the first, I think it was the first Arsenal one that I remember as being a very short-term fan was the win over Wigan. And Wigan was making this crazy run and and then Wigan comes out and they're up like two nothing, I think, or something like that in the in the championship. And it looked like Wigan was gonna take the title. And then luckily the gunners came back and hoisted the trophy. But that's my first memory is like actually seeing my team go through that tournament and, and finish the deal. Kind of like this year. <laughs> <laughs> James, do you have any good old FA Cup memories from your time growing up? Yeah, I think probably one of the first FA Cups was uh, the one, I think like the first one we won, like the only or the latest one we won in the 90s, like 98 when we beat Newcastle. That was like probably one of the first times that I watched the FA Cup. And yeah, it was just kind of this crazy trophy and you're all at Wimbledon, the atmosphere. And I've been to, I went to old Wimbledon when it was, you know, still around. and Hold on. Old Wimbledon? Old Wimbledon, yeah. Like, old Wimbledon Stadium before they knocked it down and rebuilt it. Um, Were we playing tennis here, James? Sorry, Old Wembley. <laughs> oh, wow. 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 Uh, wow. He's not going to edit that out either. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> Uh, yeah james i'm gonna call it soccer okay <laughs> it's been a long day i'm gonna call it day. soccer yeah well we won't be too hard on james he's been uh he he had a big gaming tournament today so he watched the fa cup final then he did his gaming tournament and now he's podcasting with his bros so and then i'm gonna watch the loons afterwards yeah so it's <laughs> probably like 4 a.m bed or something now, with the FA Cup, we all love the FA Cup. We all appreciate the FA Cup, but we cannot argue that the FA Cup has not lost some of its prestige over the years, probably directly related to the Champions League and the race for the top four being taken more seriously by clubs than the FA Cup itself. The FA Cup seems to have lost some of its prestige. Either of you have any, any thoughts on that? Or any thoughts on how the FA Cup could gain some of that lost prestige? 
Well, James will probably have some actual real thoughts on this, but I'm going to say for me, it's not been a real banner couple of seasons for Arsenal lately. I mean, we've been barely making the Europa and the FA Cup has kind of been all we had. So for me, it hasn't really lost a lot of prestige because at least I've got to see my team lift a trophy given how rough it's been. So I think maybe from your perspective as a Chelsea fan, like it doesn't mean as much to you, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But for me, it it means a lot more as a newer fan of soccer and as someone who, you know, I've never got to see Arsenal be great. You know, I've heard about, you know, the Incredibles and, and all the, the Invincibles and all Invincibles. the great teams. Sorry, I said Incredibles. <laughs> but I, I never got to see any of that. So for me, it's I've seen him, I think, three times lift that trophy. So for me, it's a lot of prestige. I, I understand that point as well. Like for me, you know, I started really watching Arsenal and kind of getting into it. The first like 98, like I was talking about when they beat Newcastle. And that was like it was Arsene Wenger's trophy from then. You know, he won seven trophies in 20 years. You know, he's still the most successful FA Cup winning manager. And now, you know, we've gone past Arsene Wenger and then we've won another FA Cup. So it's like a really, it's always a trophy that we do well at. We have the most wins, uh, 14 for those counting. And yeah, I think f- for us, it's, it's never really lost that prestige, but I guess it's becoming less and less about giant killing because there's a lot more clubs with a lot of money and it's like they put more effort into it that it just seems to be always the big clubs that get there in the end, right? Like it's it's very rare that it's it's been a you know a smaller club getting getting up there. Yeah, and as a Chelsea fan, I I would argue that Chelsea took this FA Cup run very seriously. You know, with that tight top four race that went on between Chelsea, Leicester, Manchester United, even even Wolves and Sheffield United were in that for a little bit. With that tight top four race, Chelsea had incentives to just kind of give up on the cup. And judging by their lineups, even with that congested fixture schedule, Chelsea never gave up on the cup. You could tell that the cup was important to them the entire way, even after the restart. Well, and based on what happened today, probably to the detriment of their chances in the Champions League. Yeah, I don't know how... What, it's now a 1% chance of advancing instead of a 3? Like, <laughs> I don't I mean, know what they're... I don't know what... I'm, I'm, I don't really follow the Champions League if Arsenal's not in it, so I don't really know what's going on there. Are like 10 years since you've seen it? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea's down 3-0 to Bayern Munich. Yeah. So, um, And now they have to go to Munich. They're already down 3-0, so... Uh, seems like you're being pretty negative there, Sam. Maybe I'm doomsday Jeremy now, but <laughs> I, crazier things have happened. That is true. But anyway, let's just move on. Let's recap this game. <laughs> we had an FA Cup final. I'm letting my two Arsenal buddies come on my show. Even, even <laughs> letting my two Arsenal buddies come on my show to uh, talk about beating my team. So <laughs> let's get going. We'll. We'll start off with the first half. So this is the part where I was pretty excited and Jeremy was pretty doomsday about everything. Man, so, I, I saw doomsday Jeremy real quick right there. I didn't know that existed. 
You didn't live with him for three years. <laughs> wow. So Chelsea was hot out the gate, assisted by Drew. Pulisic scores a very nice goal five minutes in, actually making him the first American male to score in an FA Cup final ever. And second American, if you include Carly Lloyd, who scored one for Manchester City in 2017, which I like to forget that she ever played for Manchester City personally. <laughs> I, sorry, go ahead, Jeremy. Well, I was just going to say, I, the Pulisic goal was, was nice, but it looked like the circus had came to town with the way they defended that inside the box there. I mean, it just, they look so confused on defense. Yeah, like... Mason Mount, I remember texting you guys just saying, God, I love Mason Mount. Yeah, he was on fire. His pressing and like that that one shot that he had, and he honestly probably should have passed it, but he just, it was as if he was playing FIFA, as if you're just holding down that trigger button that makes you run faster. He just takes the ball and keeps running and makes a shot. It was, he was just running right through Arsenal. Then Arsenal, uh, Arsenal kind of changed things a little bit not long after the Pulisic goal. Yeah, and it really was like flipping a switch. Like it just seemed like all of a sudden there was a lot of stability on the defensive end and then they started getting possession. First they had the disallowed goal, uh which was a beautiful goal by Pepe. Oh, um, stunning. But uh it was it was the right call. I mean, he he was offsides, but man, that one hurt. That one hurt cuz it's like, "Oh, all right, here we go." And it was the the goal was just sweet. But after that, Aubameyang draws the penalty. Aspilicueta pulls him down on an over over the top ball, and it's one to one. Now, the American broadcast we were watching, we didn't really get a great shot of the field, and they weren't really going back to you, you know that you heard the commentators. You saw Arsenal arguing for a red card there on Cesar Aspilicueta. You, you heard the commentators talk about how it was a possibility that they could relook at that and award the red card. You saw me text message that I thought it should have been a red card. <laughs> Jeremy thought it should have been a red card. And James, your your angle on your European broadcast must have just been a little bit different, or maybe the commentary was different. James, please explain why that was only a yellow and not a red card for denying a clear goal scoring opportunity. Yeah, so the reason that you get a red card when you're denying a clear goal-scoring opportunity is if there are no more defenders basically left between you and the goalkeeper. So what they were talking about in the, in the European broadcast and the British broadcast was you slowly panned around and you could see uh, Antonio Rudiger running back as a covering defender. And if Obama Young had got the ball and kept going, that defender would have covered him off, which means it's no longer a clear goal-scoring opportunity because there's cover, which means it's only a yellow because he gets pulled down. Um, so basically, Rudiger being there saved Azpilicueta a uh, red card. Yeah, and I don't think until maybe the... They, they showed a highlight of the, of the penalty in the second half, and that was the first time that I actually saw an angle that showed uh, Rudiger there. You never saw it in other, any other of the of the replays. Yeah, we immediately saw that angle, like straight afterwards when they were talking about it. Aspilicueta, unfortunately, and you know th this is Chelsea's captain. This is one of our longest tenured players. This is a player that was teammates with Frank Lampard, right? Unfortunately, 
He subbed off in the 35th minute with a hamstring injury, and Andreas Christensen subs in. I, I just want to emphasize this because it was significant not only because he was the captain, but along the along Chelsea's defense, he's actually incredibly versatile too. And, and I say this because there were talks about switching Chelsea's formation away from the wing backs after you saw Arsenal's aggressive press. There was a talk about Chelsea switching away from the wing backs at halftime, but Espelicueta, so he can play left back or right back. Right back is his natural position, but he's actually filled in quite well at left back. Without Espelicueta on there, you would have had to make another yet another substitution in order to fill that position if you were to get rid of the wing backs because you wouldn't have you wouldn't have wanted Marcus Alonso if you were switching back to a back four. You know, that's also one thing they said in the broadcast when, you know, as soon as they were subbing Andreas Christensen on was that they were going to be in even more trouble because he just doesn't even have the speed that Aspilicueta has. And Aspilicueta has trouble keeping up with Obama Young. Right. Right. And, you know, we kept the pressure on for the remainder of the half. And to be honest, Chelsea were really lucky to enter halftime at one all. I think we there was attacking football. We were aggressive. We, you know, they had a stat where we only had like 33% of the possession for most of the half. And then suddenly we got to 46% of the possession, right? And against Man City, we only had 29%. We were, we were frustrating Chelsea. We were drawing fouls. There were yellow cards going out left, right and center. And we, we just didn't have any of that. You know, we were the we were the full aggressor going forward. Chelsea had nine fouls and three yellow cards in the first half. Well, and I think somebody who really, especially in that first half, deserves some recognition is Pepe. I mean he he's been much maligned all season. I mean he was this big money signing. He was supposed to be a huge asset on this team, and he hasn't really done much this year. But he, he, to me, was a difference maker in this game. I mean, he was all over the field. He was making plays. He was putting the pressure on Chelsea's back line. I just really felt like he was the one person, other than Aubameyang, obviously, that just really like stuck out to me watching him play. I just don't think Chelsea expected such an open game, and I don't think they expected that high press from Arsenal. The blueprint to defeat Chelsea all season long has been counterattacking football. And you've seen, you, you know, Chelsea fans, we have nightmares about, you know, West Ham beat us twice this year. Bournemouth beat us. And it's been from just staying back and striking Chelsea when they're vulnerable. And I, I think based on how Arsenal played Man City, I think Chelsea expected that from Arsenal today. And that wasn't what it looked like, at least after Pulisic's initial goal. Yeah, and this was something they were talking about in the in the commentary in the UK broadcast as well, was that like in the first like twenty minutes or so, Lampard just totally outfoxed. Like totally outfoxed Arteta. Just had like had him all ends up. And then like you said, they Arsenal just switched to such an open game and attacking that Lampard suddenly got outfoxed himself because they just they it was just something they couldn't handle because they weren't expecting it at all. Well, and, and James, this and this could totally be me talking out of my talking out of my ass. I don't know if I'm uh, I don't know if I'm I'm reading this correctly or not. But 
Wenger, when he was when he was coach, it kind of seemed like he was sort of like the Packers with McCarthy. Like you kind of knew what you were going to get, and it didn't seem like he, at least near the end of his career when I was watching, it didn't seem like he was really open to changing the style and changing what was going to happen. So if if the way he wanted to play wasn't working, it just wasn't going to work that day. And so like it was nice to see that the first half started off the way it did, and like it almost seemed like. Arteta went with a plan B and just completely changed the style of play and it worked out to our benefit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and I think that's where, you know, it's such a masterstroke bringing Arteta back after he spent so much time as a Man City assistant. That's what he's brought to our club. And I think, yeah, it definitely helped us win another FA Cup. But uh, yeah, that was the first half. And then the second yeah. half. So in, in the second half, my my wife heard me pretty early on, not very happy. And she comes into the room and she was like, did Arsenal score? And I, I was like, no. Pulisic looks like he pulled a hamstring or something. He, he looked like he was in pain. It was a nice opportunity that he had to take the lead. But then Pulisic had to be subbed out only in the 49th minute. Pedro came on in. So at least, you know, I'm confident in Pedro, but. You know, Pulisic has been dangerous for Chelsea, especially since the restart. And to not have him there, to me, he was the distance maker on the field, especially without Willian around. And that's another thing that like was so amazing about his hamstring injury is if you watch the video back, he actually pings that hamstring about three or four steps before he fires the shot. And he still fires the shot with the leg that he pinged the hamstring. And he only just put it wide. Like that's, that's, that's respect. Like that's an incredible effort to know you're already gone at that point and to still put out a decent shot. As an Arsenal fan, the one thing that went through my head there was, I hope there's not any importance to uh, the U S and what they got going on right now. And, and Pulisic playing for the, for the national team as like, I don't, I don't know what's going on with national soccer in terms of playing or anything like that. But I was just like, Oh, I don't really want him having a hamstring injury. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> really, after Pulisic came out of the game, Arsenal even went heavier on the attack. It just seemed like Chelsea wasn't really much of a threat at that point, at least the way they were playing up until the end of the game. But it, it seemed like Arsenal went to more, even a heavier attacking style um, after the beginning there. I, I would disagree. Okay. They went to a more of a counter-attacking style. Their possessions started dropping significantly from the first half. They started playing like West Ham. They started playing like Bournemouth. They started following the blueprint to defeat Chelsea by absorbing the attack. Chelsea didn't have the weapons to get past Arsenal. Ever since Hazard left, Chelsea has struggled finding that player that's going to break down those packed-in defenses. And Pulisic and Willian, at least since the restart, had been those guys. They've been those guys that if they didn't get the goals themselves, they were at least able to pass it off to uh, Giroud, who would then bang it in. But without Pulisic, Willian already wasn't playing. Chelsea wasn't able to break down Arsenal. And Arsenal was just, in my opinion, was sitting back significantly more than they did in the first half after the Pulisic goal, right? After the Pulisic goal, when Arsenal uh, begins that high press, they begin come very aggressive. The game really opens up. I thought the second half was significantly different from that. Yeah. 
I mean, I think I agree. Like, I think we we definitely it's definitely made me slightly nervous seeing a lot more of the Chelsea ball around Arsenal's uh, around Arsenal's penalty box. But yeah, we absorbed the pressure, and I think I think we did good in that respect. Well, as you said, Aubameyang did score his his second goal of the game on a counter attack in the 67th minute. So things go from bad to worse for Chelsea as Mateo Kovacek earns his second yellow and he's sent off in the 73rd. And I guess this is probably as good a time as any to talk about the officiating because even though Arsenal won and I was very happy with that victory, the officiating was terrible in this game, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought both calls on Kovacek against Zaka, I thought both of them were very soft, very questionable. With that said, Chelsea fans will complain about the officiating, and I've seen plenty of that on Twitter. I really do believe they have valid complaints, um, both with the sending off of Kovacek, also with what very much to me appeared to be a handball committed by the goalkeeper, Emiliano Martinez, where he grabbed the ball outside of the box. However, with with that said, while those were calls or non-calls that win against Chelsea, I think Arsenal deserves the credit for the win still. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I was not as bad of a doomsdayer as Jeremy, but definitely when we went a goal down, I was already insanely nervous. But, you know, we rallied, we rallied after conceding an early goal. We didn't have much possession. We changed our tactic. We came back. We won a penalty. We scored a goal. We went into halftime dominating, basically, you know, almost to the point where we should have scored. And then, you know, we came out in the second half. They almost scored straight away. And then I think we realized that we would never be able to keep up another 45 minutes of hyper-aggression without just being counter-attacked ourselves. So then, you know, Arteta just changed the tactic again, made into counter-attacking football, and then... Yeah, like Jeremy said, you know, Obama Young scores his second on a counterattack, this cheeky little chip over to make it 2-1. And yeah, it was uh, it was great. The only final note I want to make before we kind of close this one off is, Pedro, uh, this is not how I wanted to see his Chelsea career come to an end before he heads off to Roma. You know, obviously he came on in relief of Pulisic, who had to leave injured shortly after halftime. And playing very aggressive, trying to earn that equalizer. He injures his shoulder, which caused him to leave the game on both oxygen and a stretcher with that shoulder injury. So I wish the best for Pedro. He's been a loyal Chelsea player for a handful of years now. I was excited to see him go to Roma. I don't watch a lot of Serie A, but I think Roma has the coolest jerseys and the coolest logo. So I was kind of sympathetic to Roma and I hope that Pedro's able to have a have a good little run there in Roma. Yeah, it was sad, man. Like no one wants to see injuries and yeah, kind of, you know, there's already 7 minutes of injury time and then yeah, there was just it it didn't look good. Like this that like like you said with the oxygen and the stretcher and or well, I, I hope a full recovery from him, you know, even though he's on the other side, you know, you never want people to have to leave games and, and be stretched off. And yeah, I just hope that he, uh, I hope that he recovers well and that he gets back and uh, gets back in the game as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Well, let's close off this game. So after so much stoppage time, 
<laughs> After so much stoppage time, Arsenal wins two to one. So congratulations, guys. Thank you. Yes. This 2020 FA Cup trophy, what does this mean to Arsenal? Go. Well, uh, yeah, it means it means a lot, to be honest. Like, this trophy for so long was Arsene Wenger's trophy, and now we've shown that after Arsene Wenger, we can still win this trophy. And to have Arteta come in halfway through a season, and we'll go through that in a bit, but I think this is, you know, the building block that will take us back to, you know, competing for the top of the Premier League, competing in, competing in the Champions League. I think it's a springboard that we can build off. And yeah, we've got one win further away from Manchester United, which is good. Uh, so uh, I'm looking forward to getting number 15. Well, and I think in the scope of the picture of 2021 and, and where we're kind of headed, if they had lost this game, there's no European tournament for Arsenal, and there might not be any Aubameyang. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with that, but there's a much better chance with us being in Europa that we can get that contract done and that we can keep him. And hopefully, I mean, I'm never confident, and I'm going to let James tackle the transfer stuff because I, I don't know as much as, as he would, but I'm never confident that Arsenal is going to be willing to go out there and spend the money. So I don't know what we need, but I feel at least there's a chance that whatever we do need, he's going to go out. We may go out and get it as if we were not in any European soccer. I don't know that that would have been the case. Absolutely. So thank you for bringing up 2020, 21, the next season, which is going to be here before we know it. What would you say the, 2020-21 outlook for Arsenal is. Yeah, so I think yeah, I think we can mainly split it into three areas for Arsenal. The first one is obviously the boss, Mikel Arteta. Yeah, he's come in partway through the season after we got rid of Emery, which was disappointing. You know, it was touted as the next big thing, going to change the club around. It didn't work. It happens. But we brought in, you know, someone who used to play for us, someone who knows the club very well. I had already written in the notes that he shows good glimpses with tactics. Uh, this was even before the final. Uh, so I'm glad that got backed up. You know, and he started, when he started, we were eight points behind fourth and we finished 10 points behind fourth at the end of the season. So it's not easy to come in halfway through a season and try to mold a team to what you want. But we didn't really take a step backwards, which I think is a positive for Arsenal over the recent seasons. Well, and there might have been, I mean, a little weirdness to the season. I mean, you know, like a pandemic or something. <laughs> throwing a spanner in the works or something. <laughs> so, yeah, you know. Sounds like a big excuse, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, murder, think... horn, murder hornets everywhere. <laughs> you are just an expert in failure, aren't you? Yep, I am. Uh, it's Packers fan, eh, uh, Jeremy? I get it. It's rough. But uh, talking about failures, Arsenal's defense, man, we we just don't ever look good. Like our defense always just looks unstable. You know, we we got rid of a bunch of defenders last year. We bought in some defenders. Tyranny looks good. Uh, there's a couple of defenders that that are starting to look good. 
But if you actually look at our season, right, only four teams had less losses than us, but we had 14 draws. Yeah, we we had 14 wins and 14 draws. If our defense is solid enough that we can convert even half of those draws, we are looking way better and we're probably back in Europe. If I'm not mistaken, didn't we have to didn't we have to at the beginning of the year, didn't we pull a couple wins out in the like 90th minute that could have made that stat even worse? <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's the depressing part about that stat is it could have been worse. But I think it's always the same. You know, I think we need defenders. I think we need just a solid back line that will that will keep us. Because the third point is attacking prowess. We do not lack in attacking prowess. Uh, Obama Young, twenty nine goals now for the season, uh, is incredible. Lacazette uh, had twelve, which is a little disappointing, I think, for him. And like you mentioned earlier, uh, Pepe, who we added over the summer, added eight. But for for 2020 and 2021 and, and going forward, I think the young talent is is something that we're looking forward for. You know, Nelson, Enketier, Willock, uh, Martinelli that we added. You know, between these guys, we had over 20 goals between the four of them. And I think... You know, you have Obama Young, you have Lacazette up front, you have these guys in support coming off the subs bench, running the wings. And I think that attackingly we we look strong. Like we have a good like we have a good attack. We can score goals, but we just gotta fix that defense, man. Like we just gotta go out there and spend some money. We've shown last couple of years we're okay with spending money. We've bought in some big players, but now we we need to add some de- defensive structure. I have one question about our club, and then Sam looks like you're going to kind of give us a rundown of Chelsea here. Bellerin, it seemed like there was a lot of hype behind him, and I, and I know he, he got hurt, and I don't know if he's still recovering from that and just not back to himself, but he just seems to not quite be the player that he was hyped to be. Is that just inaccurate from my perception, or... Has he maybe lost a little bit from previous expectations? Yeah, I think the problem with the problem with Bellerin was it was always speed, right? Like speed was his absolute number one thing. And then ironically against Chelsea, he suffered a ruptured ACL, uh, was out for nine months. And yeah, he came back September last year, but it's just not, I don't think he's hit full stride yet. Like I think the ACL rupture just took a few steps out of it. So I'm uh, I'm looking forward to to seeing if he can take some time and and yeah, kind of go back to full strength. But the promise was definitely there. But I think the ruptured ACL has kind of kind of hobbled it a little bit, unfortunately. But you know, he's only 25, so he's still got time. All right. Well. This is my chance in the podcast to be excited about something because (laughs) I'm in all honesty, like since discovering Chelsea, I have seen a few Premier League championships. I have seen a Champions League trophy. I have seen two Europa League trophies. I've seen I don't totally keep track of how many FA Cups it's been, but since 2008 when I discovered soccer, but there were even some League Cups sprinkled in there. This was my favorite season ever watching Chelsea. It was so refreshing to watch 
Frank Lampard and all these young guys. Frank Lampard, super Frankie Lampard. He seems to have the longest leash of any manager in the Abramovich era. And I think that that is a good thing because I, I think Abramovich has cut ties, you, you know, for all the great he's done for the club, the knock on him would be is that he cut ties with managers when he probably shouldn't have. And Lampard has that leash. I also love that he's not afraid to admit when he's wrong and he adjusts his plans accordingly. Gosh darn, he took a transfer ban Chelsea and he qualified them for the Champions League. So no longer are Chelsea this club that just buys their way to success. So many of these players were homegrown. So many of these players, they bleed blue. They've been with the club since they were little kids. Like we're talking a youth revolution. We have Billy Gilmore, 19, Callum Hudson Adoy, 19, Academy product as well. Reese James, another Academy product, 20 years old. Mason Mount, also from the Academy, 21. Christian Pulisic, 21. Fikayo Tomori, Academy product, 22. Tammy Abraham, Academy product, 22. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, coming back from injury. Another Academy product, but this wasn't his debut year, but he's only 24 years old. And we have so many others either in the Academy or out on loan right now, you know, the Ethan Ampadus of the world. The only people regularly contributing who are in their 30s are Aspilicueta, who's 30, William, who's 31 and is probably on his way out, and late-season hero, Giroux. Of course, we can't forget about our now-starting goalkeeper, Willie Caballero, who is 38. But we have just this young core that is coming through. They all got that experience that Chelsea rarely offers players in the past, and I am psyched about it. I am super psyched about it. We also have some incoming transfers as well because Chelsea survived the transfer ban and now seems to be one of the only clubs that has money to spend in the COVID era. And actually, I wanted to make a point because I don't know if it came up in your broadcast, but when they were talking about Willian, they were saying that the most likely candidate to sign him over the summer is Arsenal. Yeah, he his family likes London, so they want to stay in England. He just got his... Uh, British citizenship, and they would like to stay in London. They don't want to move. So Arsenal, Tottenham, I I mean, I don't see him quite doing what Gary Cahill did and going over to Crystal Palace or like a West Ham or anything like that. I think he's too good for that, but I'm not looking forward to him going to Arsenal. But then again, he hates Tottenham. So it <laughs> seems like a good fit. <laughs> And it, and it and it seems to be that thing with Chelsea and and Arsenal. You know, we got David, the spy agent Louise. You got Giroud. We'll get Willian, maybe. Like it's just you got Ashley Cole. But we got Ashley Cole in his prime. I mean, he won three FA Cups with us already. So you know, we we had preconditioned him to trophy winning. Sure, sure. I I just I think Ashley Cole is a little bit different there. But anyway, Chelsea survives the transfer ban. And now they have money in the bank to spend. Hakim Ziyech coming in from Ajax. Timo Werner coming in from Leipzig. Kai Havertz on the way. That seems to be in the works. And then we know that they're going to address their defense somehow. I don't know exactly what they're going to do. Names are being thrown out all over the place uh, for both center backs as well as goalkeepers. I don't quite know what they're going to do. You can have Louise back. <laughs> I actually, I, I liked Louise when he was a Chelsea player and I, 
I like him now that he's an Arsenal player too, for a completely different reason. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say though, having seen uh, Hakeem Zayech play on TV over here, he's very exciting, man. Like that's, he's going to bring a lot of danger. I mean, I know the Dutch league isn't, you know, one of the top in the world, but he is a very exciting player. And so is Timo Werner, actually. So that's yeah. a little bit scary. <laughs> well, yeah, because like I said, Chelsea's big problem was not being, ever since Hazard left, not being able to break down those pack defenses. And now it's not just Christian Pulisic when he's healthy who are able to crack the code. You now have Ziak, you have Werner, and potentially you have Havertz. So Chelsea, even if they don't fix the defense, sure, you may be able to score on them, but are you going to be able to score enough on them to keep up? No. I'm I'm excited. I'm excited. We do have to address the goalkeeper, though. I mean, Kepa Arizabalaga conceded 47 goals this year, which is one shy of a Chelsea record, which I'm sure he would have set today had he been allowed to. Um, unfortunately, he was on a world record 71.6 million quid transfer deal as of 2018. But this is what's crazy is he only saved 56.5% of shots on goal this year, which is the worst of all 20 regular season starters in the English Premier League. Lampard has clearly grown tired with him. And I just don't see Kepa coming back as the starting goalkeeper for next year. But then again, it's going to be hard to sell him right now and get any sort of return. It's it's Coach Kepa. Remember, he he doesn't want to be subbed off. If he if he <laughs> wants to play, he'll play. That was with sorry. That doesn't count. <laughs> At the time, he was a hero to Chelsea fans for doing that, for standing up to sorry and making sorry look like that. But I wasn't a fan. I... <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you for coming on. We gotta we gotta get on to our loons now. The loons game is just about to kick off. No real breaking news, but we are going to be monitoring the situation with Major League Baseball. Uh, who knows? We may have some news for the big CF involving baseball and trying to figure out what that means as far as the MLS's return to the regular season, if it actually happens. Upcoming Loons games. The Loons are literally about to play San Jose right this minute as we're recording, but we are all hopeful that we advance to the semifinals to play Orlando on Thursday, August 6th at 7 o'clock p.m. Regardless of how the loons do tonight, the next episode of Pot on You Loons will focus on recapping this upcoming quarterfinal against San Jose, which Justin and I should be able to record sometime on Sunday. But anyway, James, Jeremy, thank you for joining on this episode, and thank you for being relatively easy on me during this tough time. Always a pleasure to have you on the show, and we hope to have you back soon. Corona's a tough time. Losing in an FA Cup final to a glorious team like Arsenal is just, <laughs> no, that's all right. But uh, yeah, thanks very much for having us. And uh, pod on you loons. Pod on you loons.